How's everyone doing? Are you awake? <laughs> okay. You're um, okay. Big stretch if you're awake. Just make sure. Yeah. Okay. There's a couple of you out there. That's awesome. Um, as we review where we've been as we come to a close this afternoon, I think the best way to review is to put a little bit of it into practice. So I want you to turn to the person next to you and I want you to say, you are beautiful. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so now this one's harder. I want you to turn to the person next to you and I want you to say, I am beautiful. I guarantee you that it's harder to say, to say the second thing than it is the first, isn't it? Because there's places where we still, it's so much easier to see someone else's beauty than to see our own. And this is why we need community, one of the many reasons. And so tonight, not tonight, this afternoon, as we're coming into our last talk, we move into the one another part. So we've started, last night, we started by talking about shame and the spirit, that shame enslaves us, but the spirit sets us free. This morning, we really honed in on what it means to be free and unashamed before God, that we can confess our sin, whatever sin that is, that not only is the guilt removed, but even more, the shame is taken away from us. And so you can believe that the words that God speaks over you are true, that you are beautiful, that you are clothed with the radiant beauty of a bride, and that you are perfect, not because you've been perfect enough, but because Christ's righteousness has been perfect in your place. And so only out of that foundation can we have the courage to be authentic with one another, to be free and unashamed before one another. The two places that we're gonna talk about this afternoon are taking off the mask, authenticity, so that's number one, and then number two is hallmarks of an unashamed community. But before we talk about mask, I wanna tell you just another little part of my story. Imagine if I had introduced myself as Hi, I'm Heather Nelson, I'm a pastor's wife, I'm a mom of twins, and life is awesome, and it's been awesome my whole life, and I'm doing fine, and I hope you are too. Is there any connection there? No. <laughs> because it, there's something that rings a bit hollow. No one can actually be fine all the time, despite what my southern roots would tell me. You know, you pass someone on the street, how are you? Fine, fine. And you're like, no, you're not. I know you're not, um, but it's so hard for us to get past, you know, whatever our cultural version of fine is, you know, to really take off the mask and to be real. So as you've gotten to know a little bit of my story throughout this weekend, what, what would be a more authentic introduction is, hi, I'm Heather, I'm, a I'm married to a pastor, I have twin daughters and it's really hard to parent them. They're five years old, I get angry with them and I repent and I feel like 
Sometimes I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm not cut out to be a mom, but God's given me these children, so surely he's gonna give me the grace for it. And life is hard, and I'm a counselor, and I've walked with other people through their hard things, and I've seen the hard brokenness in my own heart. Now, doesn't that have a different feel to it, to you? And that's the kind of community that we're called to have with each other, is the authentic type, the version two type, where unless you begin to open up about what you're struggling with and where the places that feel shaming to you, shame tells you to be isolated, it tells you to be alone, but the truth is that as you share about the shame, not only does your shame go away, but that becomes a point of connection to someone else. And so the things that, the lies that shame tells us that no one will understand, actually that's the best way to understand someone else, is to hear them share their shame stories with you and for you to share the same with them. So that's where we're going. First of all, taking off the mask, authenticity. Why do we need to take off the mask? Well, because we're wearing them. Let's be honest. <laughs> we don't have to, you don't know about the mask you have to take off until you realize that you're wearing it. And here's a few of the masks that I think show up for us as women. There's fear, the mask of fear. And this is, now when I say mask, this is particularly um, the mask we wear in order to, uh, when we're feeling particularly exposed, when something has happened that kind of shows us up or really hits on an old wound. Um, for me, almost any time I walk into a new group of women, particularly, I, I feel those that I'm trying to walk out of that label of rejected, outsider, worthless. Um, I have to walk according to a different story. So if I'm in a new group or in a group where I don't, I'm not sure of where my place is, that's where shame really shows up, and that's when I'm most likely to don a mask. So whatever it is for you, where you've begun to identify shame in your story, these are the things that you're gonna look to to try to cover up with. So fear, I'm, I'm gonna hide because I'm afraid of being known. I'll withdraw from you in relationship. I'm so anxious, I'll isolate myself from actually the only remedy to my shame, which is relationship and community. Um, another mask, like when I, and when I have the fear mask on, I might actually look kind of strong, but inside I'm shaking in my boots because I'm like, I can't let anyone know me. Another one is anger. It's a very close, closely tied to this. Um, and this, the problem with anger as women is that that can, that in and of itself can be even more shaming because women aren't supposed to get angry. I mean, we know that's not true, but our culture kind of tells this different story. And so anger is this mask of, I'm gonna just fight back um, with whatever it is. So for me, taking going back to that example of being in a group, not sure I know what my place is, anger could show up if I just start gossiping about everyone or kind of start like trying to take everyone else down. Like they're such an uninclusive group and you know, that's anger. I'm just trying to feel strong when I really feel weak. Um, it's blaming others, appearing strong while inside, again, I feel rather weak. Perfectionism, which we talked about a bit this morning, um, as it relates, as it becomes a mask, it's I'm only gonna show you the parts about myself that are cleaned up 
and this is where social media is awesome for the perfectionist, because, um, and really for all of us, because I'm not gonna post about my hard day, but I'm gonna post about my vacation, and I'm gonna post when I'm like looking good, and my kids are smiling, and they're you know, dressed in their Sunday best. Those are the pictures I'm gonna post, and then you're gonna see that and be like, wait a second. Her life is perfect, and mine isn't, because you're comparing my outsides to your insides. And we know that behind closed doors, none of us is Facebook perfect, are we? Um, But perfectionism, I think, really becomes an easy mask to hide behind on social media, particularly. There's another one of helper and fixer, and this one really thrives in the church where um, I, when I'm afraid or I'm feeling shame, I'm feeling inadequate, I'm just gonna jump in and just help you out and fix you so that I don't have to talk about myself. And that'll probably, that goes actually a pretty long way as one who tends to wear this mask um, because there's a lot of hurting people who need to be helped. But if I'm always the helper, I'm not letting myself be known. I'm not letting myself be vulnerable in front of someone else. And all of these masks, there's probably a thousand more we could talk about, but all of them end up with hiding you from others and isolating others from you. So we have to take them off, one at a time, or maybe all at once, depending on what your style is. And we have to take them off in the presence of loving and safe community. How can you begin to practice sharing your shame instead of hiding when it shows up? Who is safe and how can you be safe for others? When I am struggling with shame, I'll tell you this story that's also in my book. Um, There's a certain guest who comes over to my house and I feel a lot of shame about my house being dirty because it pretty much always is. I have five-year-olds and I'm not great at cleaning up. Whenever she comes over, I just, she starts just picking things up off the floors. And then that really makes me feel more shame, like, oh, I should have cleaned up better. And she's judging me. And that, that's not true. Like, I know that about her. But how I feel is I feel really ashamed and I feel um, like I need to do better. And so one time after she visited later in the day, my husband came home from work and I was like vacuuming furiously. And he's like, what's going on? <laughs> that's not a normal occurrence in our house. And um, I said, well, I'm, I'm trying to vacuum up my shame, is what I said with a laugh. <laughs> it was like retroactive, like, okay, well, the house is clean now, so I'm gonna feel better about this morning. And I was sharing this story with a friend and she just, she laughed with me about that moment. She's also a mom of young kids. And then she also just gently reminded me, Heather, your shame is covered because of Jesus. Like, you don't have to vacuum it up. Like, it's already been covered. It's already been removed. And that's what we need to be doing for each other, is sharing our stories, whether it's a small moment or a big moment, sharing those stories with one another and giving them the chance to speak the gospel truth of the Lord's grace into our lives. Otherwise, we're just gonna keep adding to all of our shame vacuuming up behaviors. Um, Where can our churches become places that are known as safe communities instead of places where you have to clean up your act? 
before coming in, where our churches would be known for what we are for more than what we're against. This is something that's so, I think particularly, I'm just particularly passionate about because as a counselor, I hear the stories of the woman who had an abortion as a teen, the woman who's been married before and no one else knows it at church, the woman whose husband is struggling with the shameful sexual sin, the woman who is struggling with an eating disorder, you name it, I've heard it in my office. And I usually am the first one to hear it because she doesn't feel safe to tell it anywhere else. Maybe she even heard a sermon that was, you know, as we're preaching through the scripture, like the scripture doesn't bat an eye at sin, but the way we talk about sin, there, it, we've gotta say it's us. Like anytime I'm talking about a sin, like I struggle with the root of that as well. Like it's not us and them kind of thing, it's we. Like, we are all sinners, we all struggle in many ways, and too many times people get from the culture of a church, okay, this is not a safe place for me to talk about whatever it is that I'm really struggling with. And so I end up hearing about it, and this woman will say, no one else is struggling with this. No one else in my church is struggling with this. And then an hour later, another woman comes into my office from the same church, She's struggling with the same issue. And she says the same thing. And I wanna just say, I can't as a counselor, but I wanna say, I want you guys to meet. I want you, why aren't we talking about these things in our small groups? You know, why aren't we talking about this in a safe place? I mean, I love my ministry as a counselor, but I kind of wish that I could be out of a job. I wish that the church was rising up to be the safe, beautiful community that God made it to be. That's why we have to be free and unashamed before God, because it's the only thing that's gonna give us security to move out and call other people into freedom. If we haven't known freedom, and we, if we don't know the confidence of standing with the Lord, we're not going to be able to offer the same thing to someone else. And it's risky business, being in this whole business of being authentic and also trying to hear other people's stories, um, you'll probably be rejected at some point. You're gonna be disappointed, but what's gonna keep you going? Well, you know that with God, you always have welcome. You always have a place to belong, and therefore, you can keep going. So maybe the first person you try to share with isn't someone who's safe. Maybe you don't feel connected or engaged, so you try again. You know, and maybe when someone shares something with you, you don't have the empathetic response that you wanted to have. You can always go back and say, I think I really messed that up. Um, could we try that again? I think you were sharing something really important and I just glossed it over. I was having a bad day myself or I just didn't know what to do. Like, let's be people who are taking off the mask with each other confessing sins to one another and also talking about our shame with one another and our struggles. We can have empathy to enter in because Christ entered into our mess. So we can have empathy to enter into the messes of others because Christ entered into our mess. So we're about to show you a video that is done not by a Christian, but by a shame researcher, Dr. Brene Brown, who has written some great stuff about shame. And for her, she talks about the importance of empathy as a way of 
breaking free of shame, that as you share about your shame, it needs to be met with empathy. Now, that doesn't mean I have to understand the ins and outs of your particular struggle, but that I'm gonna find a way to try to connect with you and to connect to the feeling that you're having, whatever that feeling is. I've had that feeling, even if I haven't had that experience. So this um, short little video talks about the difference between empathy kind of getting in with someone in the middle, sitting down with them in the middle of their struggle versus sympathy. So we'll watch that and then we'll talk about it in a minute. So what is empathy, and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions, where empathy is relevant, and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person, or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, I'm down. I know what it's like down here, and you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, it's bad, huh? Uh, no, you want a sandwich? Uh, empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, is an empathic response begin with at least. I have a, yeah. And we do it all the time. Because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. Oh, at least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. <laughs> John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I literally say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. So again, that, the voice on that video was Dr. Brene Brown. And what's beautiful is like, what a setup for Christian community. She doesn't go all the way there in her teaching. But when I heard this, when I saw this video, I'm like, yes, that's what we need more of in our churches. And for us, it's gospel-fueled empathy. Like we do have resources to enter into the dark cloud with someone else because Christ has gone there before us. He has experienced every awful, terrible, hard thing that we could experience. He became human. He left perfect 
to come and be imperfect and clothed with the shame of being human. (laughs) And so therefore, because Christ lives in us, Christ wants to get down in that pit with our sister, with our brother, with our small group. And so let's do that. That's, I think, the number one hallmark of unashamed community is that empathetic response to people in struggle. So we're gonna talk about, and and here's the gospel, here's the scripture that backs all of this up, is 2 Corinthians 12, 9. It says, this is Paul speaking, and he's talking about Jesus showing up to him and saying to him, this was in response to Paul saying, I'm struggling, I have a thorn in my flesh, God, take it away. I think it's beautiful that the thorn in the flesh is not identified because it could be, it could be what you're struggling with right now. And certainly it's similar. It's something that continually haunts you, continually comes back. And rather than saying, I'm gonna make you totally perfect and you're never gonna struggle, Paul, here's what, here's what he says. But he said to me, meaning the Lord Jesus, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So we are able to be free about our own weaknesses and to enter into the weakness of someone else because this is who God's made us. This is the grace of Jesus for you and me. So we can boast in our weakness and we can take off the mask and share the full story of who we are. Now if you want an example of God's ability to strip the mask for us, we can look at, think about Jesus' encounter with the woman by the well, the Samaritan woman. Might be a familiar story to some of you, I'm gonna summarize it. What Jesus does is here's this woman who has been married several times and divorced several times, and she's so ashamed in front of other people that she comes and gets water in the heat of the day, a time when she assumes that no other woman is gonna be there that she'll have to mingle with because she's like, I don't wanna be with, I don't wanna be with other people. Jesus comes to her, strikes up a conversation, which is completely unusual for a man, to talk to a woman, for a Jewish, someone Jewish, to talk to someone Samaritan. And as he begins to talk to her, you you see her deflecting over and over and over again, where Jesus is kind of honing in on her heart issue, on like offering loving water, and he even is like, go call your husband. Well, I have no husband. And he said, yeah, it's true, because the truth is you have this many other husbands, I'm forgetting the number right now, I think it's four or five, it was five, okay. The truth is you've had five husbands, the man you're living with now is not your husband. And she said, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Um, So again, she just is, uh, where should we worship? Should we, and she starts talking about places of worship. But Jesus is relentless. He strips all the mask away and he gets down to her heart And there is where she finally finds freedom. Because what she does is after this encounter with Jesus where he says, I am the living water and I know what you've done and I love you, 
She goes out and begins telling the whole village about Jesus. The woman who was hiding from everyone now is free and unashamed before others. And that's a hallmark of knowing that you're free and unashamed before God, is that you can be free and unashamed before others. But it starts small. It probably won't be going out into the crowds like the Samaritan woman did. It might be you're, you're a little more open than you have been before in your breakout group in your small group with one of your best friends that you share with her something that's on your heart, something that's kept you hiding. And in that, you're gonna begin to know freedom and give her that same freedom as well. So um, it also frees us, this taking off the mask and being authentic, frees us to be the same no matter where we are. It's not like you have to think about, okay, this is my work personality, this is my church personality, here's how I am with this friend, here's how I am with that friend. If you aren't wearing any mask, you're free to be who you are no matter where you are. And that takes a lot less energy. Let me, let me tell you, as someone who's, um, who's tried and failed the other approach, um, to be completely who we are all the time, that, I mean, that's brave, it's courageous, and it's freeing in and of itself. If shame is everywhere, then as soon as you talk about shame, we talked about this a little bit before, but as soon as you talk about shame in your life and story, you're freeing me to talk about shame in my life and story. So I think that's where you know, we're building through all the, all the things that we've been talking about this weekend, um, culminating in, okay, so let's take it to the community and let's take it to the church. So secondly and finally, the hallmarks of an unashamed community. We're saints. That's how we're addressed as. All of the churches that Paul wrote to, and these were very messed up churches, very messed up churches that were burdened with sin of all different types and shades, sexual immorality, um, there was idolatry, there was idol worship, all sorts of things, and Paul was addressing these problems from a distance. Every single one, we see him greeting them as saints. Saints, 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 saints. And that's the beloved, perfect identity, holy identity that we're talking about. So the first hallmark of an unashamed community is that you know that you're saints, and you see the other people sitting on the pew with you as fellow saints, fellow sisters, fellow brothers, and the family of God saved by grace. It's a place to belong instead of a place where you feel like you have to try to fit in. It's not like my experience with the gym. I hate the gym. There you go. Um, I have never felt comfortable in the gym because I'm not very athletic and I really don't like working out at all. My husband's a personal trainer, or he was, so God has a very big sense of humor when he arranges marriages sometimes. Um, And anytime I go into a gym, especially if it's a time when I need to go to the gym, I usually feel even more uncomfortable. Like the more I need to go to the gym, the more uncomfortable I feel. And I walk in and I'm looking around and I'm like, everyone else has on cool workout clothes except for me. They all seem like they know what they're doing. Everything seems easy to them. And you know what? It hit me one day. This is how so many people view church. The more you need it, the less likely you are to go sometimes because you come in and it's like everyone knows the songs and everyone's dressed this certain way or not. And I don't know, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to fit in. And that's where 
from what I hear, your church is doing, your churches are doing a fabulous job of this, of welcoming the outsiders, welcoming the ones who maybe would say, I feel like I fit in the least, that you're making an extra effort to go and welcome the outsiders in so the church can be a place to belong, not this gem that you feel like you have to work out or you know, follow some code, some hidden code to belong. It's a dinner party. It's like an exclusive dinner party where everyone's invited. And so the table is set and you get to come and enjoy and feast together. Colossians 3, if you'll turn to that with me, talks about, it sums up the calling of Christian community very beautifully. So Colossians 3, verses 12 to 14. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, so that's kind of what we've talked about the first two talks. We're chosen, we're holy and beloved. So because of who you are, here's how we are to love. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So we see in these verses, as we are loved by God, as we are forgiven by the Lord, we are called to love and to forgive and to be compassionate and kind. This is our, these are our marching orders. This is what it means to be and live in an unashamed community. There's a, a contrast between high school for me and my youth group. Um, it, that it's a good contrast. We're like, thank goodness there was a contrast. So high school, I went to a public high school in South Carolina and it was, there were basically two groups. There were like the old Southern Blue Bloods who, drove their own BMWs to school and um, were rather wealthy and were also rather culturally Christian and didn't, for the most part, they, most of them did not live out their faith. It was like you sit in the, in the family pew on Sundays, then you come to high school and you do whatever you want. And they drank like crazy, they partied like crazy, and it was not a group for me. <laughs> um, the other group were like the almost dropouts. So uh, they were usually on drugs and were kind of, they were smoking in the bathrooms. And, um, and here I am, this, I'd been at a private Christian school through eighth grade, coming into high school and being like, where do I belong? I don't think I belong in either of these groups. There's not really much in between. And high school was a place where I was constantly insecure, just trying to fit in and um, didn't feel free to be myself at all. God provided, though, this amazing youth group experience at my church where I was free to be who I was because we were gathered together around the word of God and we were singing praises to him, we were praying together, and as a result of that, my, I was almost like two different people. High school was, you know, during the day, I was this shy, quiet, keep my head down kind of student. And then um, when I was hanging out with the high school youth group, we did crazy, crazy things. I mean, crazy pranks, I'm not gonna tell you about them. Um, but it was a play, it was definitely marked by freedom. 
And that's, that's where like, I want our churches to be, that there are places of freedom where people come and they know, I belong here, I'm accepted and loved for who I am, I can talk about whatever struggles in my past or present, and that will not change the force of love. That's how our family should be too, by the way, <laughs> is even as we're disciplining our children, that they would know that we love them that it's not a matter of I'm rejecting you and disciplining you, but it's because I love you that I'm disciplining you. And it's because you belong that I'm disciplining you at this point. You know, there's a lot that we can learn in the church from AA, which might be a funny statement. But Alcoholics Anonymous is known, um, here's something, they're known for um, being incredibly successful because what they're doing is someone who struggled as an alcoholic and is in recovery is basically inviting their friends to come to a group where everyone there is sharing the same struggle. And the way that they introduce themselves is, hi, I'm Bill and I'm an alcoholic. And what if our churches were more like that in terms of, hi, I'm Heather, I'm a saint who struggles a lot with sin and with shame. And everyone else's response was, welcome, Heather. You know, that's us too. So it's this shared, it's a safe place and a safe group. AA is safe for those who are struggling with alcoholism because everyone else is struggling in the same way. And as Christians in the church, we should be the first in line to say, we've messed up, we're broken, but God has saved us by our grace. The level, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. There is no shame hierarchy of sins at the foot of the cross. They're all worthy of condemnation, and we have all received the gift of grace through faith in Jesus Christ for those who believe. So a few things that I think our churches should include, no struggle is off limits. So no struggle is off limits. So there's anything can be shared, at least in some sort of safe place, in some sort of safe way in the church. Secondly, empathy instead of judgment. And that video, I think, just gives a really clear picture of that, going down into the hole with someone, not shouting up from above, hey, do you want some sandwiches? Um, so we're, we're getting down with the person, saying, I, w I wanna understand. If someone's overwhelmed you with something they've shared and you're not sure what to say, saying, tell me more. It's a great way to communicate empathy. Um, third, there's no uniform or unspoken rules to follow. I'm not gonna even like emphasize this because I have not felt that at all among you women. So I think you're doing an awesome job at that. Um, number four, we invite the shame-filled, the excluded, and the downtrodden of our society. The ones who wouldn't think they'd be included at church. There's welcome, greeting, hospitality. Number five, you share your own struggles openly and honestly. And then number six, we keep Jesus central. He's the one who covers our shame with his beauty in whom we find refuge. And no one who hopes in God will ever be put to shame. We want the people who come to our churches to feel that, to feel that hope, to see that hope being lived out. And I'm gonna tell you, if anyone has any sort of abuse in their background, adultery, sexual sin, abortion, 
divorce, they're going to have some level of shame. And so what can we do? We've got to watch even the ways we talk about these issues because the way I talk about homosexuality, for example, that's going to tell someone who's listening whether or not I'm a safe person. And so the way that we talk about even these more heavily shame-laden issues should be in a way that's welcoming and inviting, that's saying, come, let's talk about it, let's get free together, because I know a great God who has set us free and who has, who has freed me of my shame, and yet something I still wanna, I still, like, it's like I'm laying down the shame, but I still come back and I'm like, I'm gonna pick a little bit of that up again, I'm gonna walk over here with it, but Jesus keeps calling me back to lay it down. And usually the way he calls me back is through my friends and through my community at church. So let's, let's do that together. Do that in your breakout groups. What you've tasted this weekend, let it be the beginning of more and more and more and more freedom. We want all to know the freedom that we have in the spirit. We want to be walking unhindered and unashamed. So I'm gonna close us in prayer. Thank you so much for your time, your attention, for being here with me, being on this journey with me. Would love to connect with you before we all head out later, later this evening. Father God, words are so feeble at times. And um, Lord, but your freedom is so amazing and so incredible and so I pray that Lord, you and your mercy and your grace, Father, that you would free these women and that you would help them to be courageous and vulnerable with each other and help them to be safe and empathetic and compassionate and kind listeners of one another. Father, may these churches be known more and more and more and more as people who are welcoming, as women who are free, as places where shame is dying away, one brave conversation at a time. And so we ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen.